right, well, come on back. Thanks, volunteers, for handing out the handouts. You might want to get a notebook. And, you know, for this particular time through the Psalms, I would really recommend you get a notepad and a paper, and that's, or excuse me, a pen, and uh, you can just write on the back of this today because we're going to take the high-level view. Unlike some people who go till 840, we're going to take the high-level view and we're, oh, he's sitting here. I didn't see him. <laughs> and we're going to go through uh, 11 through 20, and then next week, 21 through 30, Lord willing. And here's what I want to tell you. Uh, you know, I, as I've been praying about this, I've been sort of been convicted by the Lord, and here's why. I think we can use the Psalms, or the Psalms can do to us this. I think the Psalms can help us grow, if that's the right way of saying it. I don't know if I should say it that way, but our prayer life. And I think that one of the missions that the Lord's put me on in my life is, if anything else, is that we could become a praying people, a praying people. So the Psalms help to grow a great prayer life because we see how they prayed in the Psalms. And we're called to worship in spirit and truth. So I think us going through the Psalms is going to help us to grow our worship life in a culture of worship within the church. I think if we take this seriously, which all of you do. I mean, if you're here on a Wednesday night, you take things seriously. So I, I, I believe that. And then a deep hum, hunger for God, a thirsting for God. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, that's Psalm 63. I thirst for God and His loving kindness. How about Psalm 27? One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And how about this? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple as a deer pants for streams, so my soul pants for you, O God, Psalm 42. So you get what I'm saying. I think that's very important. Uh, I think it's, uh, we need to learn to have a healthy emotional life. And I think that's part of what God's teaching us through the Psalms and a thankful heart. When we're in the Psalms and the Lord's doing what he does to us, it takes the things that are coming out of our mouth because it's in the heart and it takes us, I think, to a higher level of praise and thanksgiving. How quick, who here can slip into negativity and not even just negativity, just wrong talk and thinking like that? I mean, I can. And the Psalms take us to that level. But here's the thing that I think we miss about the Psalms, but we're not going to miss it. And I know Xander didn't miss it, and we're not going to miss it. And that's this, that the Lord himself in Luke 24, I think it's verse 44, after the resurrection, tells his followers that the Bible, including the Old Testament, and he specifically says the Psalms speak of him. So I think what, what another thing that you may or may not have anticipated through this study is that we're going to see Jesus in a fuller, if that's the right way of saying it, way. So I'm excited about that. And if you're creative, who's here creative? I'm not. So I'm not putting up my hands. 
but I saw some people who didn't put up their hands who are creative. And you need to know, right? <laughs> Can you believe that the Lord... <laughs> Here, here's what I would have done if I was writing God's word. I would have taken out some, I don't know, program, and I'd have made bullet points. And I would have said, okay, this is the first thing you need to know, and then I would have put them under there. Here's what the Lord does. He takes people who hurt and love and laugh and are in despair and in triumph, and he puts it upon their heart to write poetry. You kidding me? I'm not trying to be too big a jerk, but when I was a kid, poetry just, that was the last thing on my mind. But you're the Lord takes people who love poetry or are good poets, David, Solomon, and some of these other folks, and music. And he puts it together, and he decides that through that, he's going to teach you about himself and all of the other things we just talked about. This is going to help us praise the Lord in deeper ways, approach God in prayer, more often and in deeper ways, strengthen our faith in Christ, and to live holy and righteous lives. That's what this is going to do. I'm convinced as we go through uh, the Psalms. So let's do it. Psalm 11. <laughs> now, Xander talked to you last week about Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is sort of the preface of the whole thing. If you want to know what the Psalms are about, turn to Psalm 1. And that's what it's about. It's a man who, or a woman who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. Listen to this. But his or her delight, delight, not tolerance. His or her delight, delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, he or she meditates all day, all night, and if that happens, they'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season. Now listen, God's word is true. So why in the Christian world do we have families disintegrated? I'm not saying I have all the answers in one little thing. And if you've had a family that's disintegrated, this isn't to point fingers at you. No way. What's happening is, though, fathers aren't leading. I'm convinced Sorry, dads, and I'm one of them, so I'm pointing the fingers at me. We are to lead our families to meditate day and night, and if, you're, if they're going to meditate, we need to be meditating, not because of out of some guilt, but because we love the Lord and we delight in his word, and we want to be strong for our families, but strong in the Lord so that they can come and taste from the fruit that's in our lives, and they can grow strong, I'm convinced. Well, Xander got through chapter 10 really quickly, or last week. Okay. You guys, okay. And then we're, we're now getting to uh, Psalm 11. Psalm 11. So go there. We're not going to go verse by verse, but here's what we're going to do. Psalm 11. Here's what the Lord led me to do. Make up my own titles for them <laughs> and to tell them to you. Not because my word is any different, but... <clears throat> anyway, 
My title for this one was How to Respond to the Counsel of the World When the Counsel of the World Sounds Good But Is Not Good. (laughs) That's my title. (laughs) Listen to this. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, by the way, it's to the chief musician. Some people believe the chief musician is the Lord himself. Others believe it's some of the uh, leaders of the choirs or the singers. You be a Berean and think that through. But no doubt, as the Lord put this on the heart of David, he etched it out or he wrote it out and he gave it to this chief musician. Um, Was he writing it? to the chief musician of the Lord? Yes. But he probably then gave it to the chief musician so he could put it to music. Why? Because my wife says she knows every song from the 60s and 70s. Every lyric she says she knows. And how does she come to know that? Because it's set to a song. That's a little joke between her and I. But anyway, it's set to a song. You can remember things set to a song. You can remember things in poetry, even though their poetry wasn't rhyming poetry. It was more parallelism, but whatever. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. What's happening here? Here's what's happening. An upright, godly person is being told by his friends, you need to get out of the situation because... If you don't, you're going to get strung up by the enemy. That's what's happening here. And here's what's sad about this. The world, the world system of thinking, and especially the enemy who's behind the world, they, he likes to make you and I and we fearful. And you know how it is when you got something going on and the first thing you do is you run to your friend and they say, well, da, 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 da. And then what happens? Your mind gets going and they can even be uh, well-intentioned people. But oftentimes the world brings up this fear of men or of bad circumstances. Remember, as we've been studying this year, suffering isn't a bad word to the Christian. So watch it, Christians. When somebody comes to you who's suffering, what do you say to them? you got to think about that. This might be from the Lord, but whatever. The world tells you to what? Do what? Avoid uncomfortability. They tell you to, it tells you to avoid um, uh, suffering or any tribulation. Get out of it. Make yourself happy. You deserve a break today. You deserve to be happy. And what's funny is when you run from the problem... Most of the time, you miss the blessing that the Lord's trying to do. Here, they make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot the heart. But let's go on. What does David do as his friends tell him to run? Run, get out of the situation. That usually doesn't happen at this time, does it? (laughs) Anyway, uh, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do there? Uh, The Lord, verse 4, is in his holy temple. That's the first thing. Remember what's true of you, Lord. If you're in a situation and you're wondering what to do and it's people are trying to bring you fearful advice, do this. Think what's true of the Lord. I always say this from here. If you don't understand something in the Bible or whatever, go back to something you do know. 
and start there. And here he says, well, the Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, see, to them, the holy temple at the time was the heavens. The Lord is sitting on his throne is what he's saying. And the Lord's throne is in heaven. And his eyes behold, he watches and he does this. Look, watch this. David's saying, wait a minute, wait a second. I know this. The Lord, his eyelids, looks down. He's sitting on his throne and he tests his sons and daughters. He tests them so that they patiently can endure and that there can be a production of spiritual fruit in their life. And if they run, they're going to miss the blessing. God's in control. He's thrones in heaven. He's righteous. Look at this. But the wicked and the one who love violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will reign coals. So what do you have to deal with here? Well, you have to deal with these tests in verse 5. We talked about that. Uh, and you could read 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18, talking about our trials. We're to, in the New Testament era, count it all joy. Recognize that trials produce things, and that produces things that's more valuable than gold, like patience and growth and maturity and sweetness. But then you have to deal with this really interesting verse that the soul of the Lord hates the wicked and the, uh, uh, the one who loves right? So you have to, the wicked and the one who loves violence, it says his soul hates. So what does that mean? It means this, and I don't understand it completely and fully, but you understand that the wrath of God, the wrath of God comes against the violent and the sinner of which we all were. And now the Lord saved us out of that and brought us into a place where we're in uh, relationship uh, with him. You could keep going on, but here's what I said as the Lord directed me. When should I read this? We actually passed this out, a table of Psalms, when to read it. But here's when I said to read this Psalm. And see, this is why I think you ought to write it down. <laughs> when should I read this? When I'm tempted to run, go away, and hide from any situation just because it's hard. Wow or any person because you're afraid to talk to them or, or whatever, resting in the fact that the Lord has this. Well, uh, anyway, so you finish off the psalm, and here we go into Psalm 12. Psalm 12 is eight verses. It's to the chief musician here uh, on an eight-stringed harp. What is it, a Sheminoth? Uh You can find it in Psalm 6 and First Corinthians. Uh, Chronicles 15.21, some sort of eight-string harp or something like that that they play. And uh, this uh, is talking about and lamenting the fact, isn't this funny? How can this be all these years ago? Lamenting the fact that the godly remnant of faithful believers keeps getting smaller and smaller. So here's my title. Sometimes you just got to stand alone or almost alone, as this pool of remnant believers gets smaller and smaller. That's why it's so important to find a fellowship and to get in fellowship with people so that you don't always feel alone. But anyway, that's my title. <laughs> or I said, sometimes being a Christian is a little lonely. Or 
Sometimes a godly man or woman is hard to find. So here, read this. Help, Lord. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Help. What a prayer. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear among the sons of men. Now watch. Uh, This is what the ungodly do, or it could be this is what the people who profess to be godly but aren't really acting godly do. Watch this. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. You getting that? They gossip. They speak idly, everyone with their neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. That is so important. Have you ever uh, gotten into a situation and one minute you're fine and literally the next minute you're not fine? And then you think about it some more and you pray to the Lord and you're fine and then then you're not fine, and you you know what I'm talking about? Nobody but just me? And you're just sort of going back and forth, and you're double-hearted or you're double-minded. Well, that's what he's speaking about here, that you're speaking to people about, even your neighbors, about something that's going on or somebody that's messed you up or somebody that's did you wrong or whatever, and you've even got into, like, flattering lips, that drippy, flattering lips that's inappropriate. And if you read the Proverbs... It speaks about it all the time. And a double heart they speak. And in fact, in the Hebrew, it almost as if they're saying they're two-faced liars. Boy, may we not be two-faced liars. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Lips that say what people want to hear. Are you getting that? And a tongue that speaks proud things. Wow. Proud things. That's what people do who aren't following the Lord or who have sort of slipped away from the Lord, who have said with our tongue, we will prevail, proud. Our lips are our own. And then they say things like this, who would be Lord over us? Or who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. Now, Now watch this. This is the break in the psalm. Here's where he starts to say what an unfaithful person is like. He's manipulative. He speaks idly. He flatters uh, inappropriately. He's prideful, etc. And then the, the psalm shifts, and he doesn't even really tell you that's because it's a poem. And the psalm shifts, and he goes, but the, he doesn't even say but. I just put that in there. Seems like it should be in there. The words of the Lord are pure words. Precious like silver in Psalm 19. But anyway, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Uh, uh, You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. One commentator says this, nothing so strengthens the intellect, clears the judgment, enlarges the view, and purifies the taste uh, uh, quickens the imagination as the uh, word of God for the whole man. Isn't that interesting? And that's what he's talking about. And the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of man. In other words, here's the thing. Standing alone can be really hard. <laughs> 
I mean, it can be really hard. The Bible tells us basically we're swimming upstream against a culture that wants to go downstream. And the whole culture is going downstream. And just a few are walking upstream. We're upside down. We do things differently. We think uh, uh, we want to obey the Lord. They want to destroy the things of the Lord. The world does. And so standing alone can be hard. And I did something here. Well, first of all, what do we do then? Remember how I said, well, one minute you're fine, one minute you're not fine, one minute you're doing great. You know that feeling, right? Here's what the Lord says. Go back to the word, like literally stop, time out, and get in the word and see what the Lord wants of you and pray about it. And I passed out something to you that I say, or Sarah did actually, I say read with a lot of warning (laughs) because this will wreck you. This is from a pastor, George Watson, who lived in the 1800s, and talks about what Christians cannot do, but others may. And I'll let you read that on your own, and I won't read it through you, but I guarantee you now, it's going to change your life. Because here's why. The Bible tells us that we're to deny ourselves. And when you are a person who denies themselves, guess what you've automatically done? You've become a person who's swimming upstream. Because the world never denies itself, and the Bible calls us to. So standing alone can be hard. What are we to depend upon? We're to depend upon the Word of God. And one of the things that the Word of God calls you to do is to deny self, and that's going to uh, help you think about what it means to deny self. 13. To the chief musician, 13, six verses. Here's one. Here's my title. It's, has God forgotten me? Where is God? How come he won't answer me? That's, the t- that's my title or my titles for this. When do you read this? You read it when you feel like God has forgotten you or abandoned you, or you feel like God has forgotten you. See, the Psalms are real, man. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David, verse one. Look at this, four times. How long, how long, how long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? (laughs) I mean, right? This person's in the dumps. They are feeling abandoned. How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my own soul or in my soul? In other words, you've left me with no resources but myself. Anybody ever felt like this? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Why do they get all the stuff and I don't? They don't even go to church. They don't follow the Lord. They don't give money in the box. They don't help old ladies across the street. I do. Why am I getting ripped off here? This is what the person is saying. There in uh, verse 2, it says, I had sorrow in my heart daily. Here's what verse 3 then says in the big pivot. Consider me, uh, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. I'm desperate. Please consider me, enlighten my eyes, bring, open up so I can see. In other words, David had a turn of heart here. Enlighten my eyes. It must be not you, Lord. It must be me. Bring me to where I can see, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I've prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, 
here's all I'm going to say. This psalm starts out in significant desperation. Almost when you read it, don't you? I mean, I sort of go, I kind of go, ooh, ooh, ouch. I don't know if you should be saying that sort of thing. And yet I've said that sort of thing, have you? But by the end, watch this, but I've trusted in your mercy. It's like a completely different approach, right? Listen to what Pastor Chuck Smith said about this song, psalm. A big change from beginning to end is this psalm as David prays. He says this, Pastor Smith says, being in the presence of the Lord changes everything. Being in the presence of the Lord changes everything. I, Pastor Chuck says, I usually approach prayer with the intention of asking God to change my circumstances. But so often, I find that God's purpose for my prayer was really to change me. That's what I think that psalm's about. Here he even says, wow, open up my eyes. He starts to turn there a little bit as he's praying. Open up my eyes. It's got to be me and not you. What a psalm. When would you read this psalm? When you feel like the Lord's left you or abandoned you. How would you pray? You'd say, Lord, I feel helpless. I'm struggling. I don't know that you're hearing me. I'm really struggling with all of this. Lord, open my eyes and change me and my heart. And remember, David went through this too. Psalm 14. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Seven verses. My title here is, Don't Be a Fool or Don't Be Foolish. Or, on the flip side of that, be patient. Who here likes to be patient? Not me. I don't like patience. But the Lord says that that's a good thing to have. That's a wonderful thing, uh, uh, you know, spiritual thing to have. Here it is. The fool has said in his heart, I almost can't believe this. So you go on Blue Letter Bible. I'm not a Greek scholar. I just know how to look up the Greek word, or excuse me, the Hebrew words. I'm not a Hebrew or Greek scholar. I just know how to look up the words. So what do you think I want to do? Well, I want to look up what the word fool means. Fool. Guess what the word fool is in the Hebrew? It's Nabal. Now that should ring a bell for you, especially if you're going through your one-year Bible and you followed along perfectly you would know when you got to uh, the Old Testament, and I think it's 1 Samuel 25, David and his men went to this rich guy. He was married to Abigail, and his name was Nabal, or Nabal, however you say it. And it's the word for fool, which, and you'll see, Nabal says, no, I'm not helping you with your food, or I'm not going to give you any food, remember? And David wants to kill him, and Abigail sort of, you know, spares him, right? As she goes and talks to David and eventually marries him. Nabal is the word for fool. Stubborn. Do you have a stubborn streak in you? Well, then I'm a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand or who seek God. They have all turned aside. That's the same that it says in Isaiah. Remember, they've all turned away. Uh, they have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, 
not one. And you can look in Romans 3 about the fallen nature of man and that uh, it needs to change or uh, you need a new nature. And that speaks of that. But have all the workers, verse 4, of iniquity, no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel uh, of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Uh, when the Lord brings back the captivity as people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Now, Psalm 14 is a very interesting psalm, not only because it uses the word for Nabal in the Hebrew, uh, it's also... Uh, Psalm 14 is duplicated again in another psalm except for one minor little change, and that's in Psalm 53. Psalm 53 uses the name for God as Elohim instead of Jehovah. Psalm 14 uses Yahweh. Each has a little bit of a different title, and there in one verse, in Psalm 53, 5, and Psalm 14, 5, and 6, they're slightly different. But otherwise, it's the same psalm. Isn't that fascinating? You think the Lord has compassion on the navels of the world? I think so. I think what he wants to do is he wants to get the message across. And I think what he wants for us, you know how when you watch Fox News and stuff like that, and you watch uh, people who they're aiming at who are atheists or agnostics and they do cruddy things and you get riled up and throw your brick at the TV and turn the TV off and throw, I think that's the opposite of what the Lord wants for you and me. I think what the Lord is saying is, I'm never giving up. Even on the fools, the fools who've rejected me until they die will pursue them. And I want you to pursue them and hang in there with them. And I think that's why it's twice. But anyway, that's in there. And hopefully now uh, you'll remember that for a long time <laughs> as you're writing it down. Psalm 15, how about this? Psalm 15 is a psalm of David. A psalm of David. By the way, I think in order to understand the psalms, you and I and we need to have an unbelievably good grasp of First and Second Samuel because all of these psalms are set against a backdrop. And I'll try to point them out when I can. By the way... The Blue Letter Bible has something different here. It has a probable occasion when each psalm was composed. Now, I looked through them this afternoon, and some of them I don't agree with, but at least it gives you a starting point. Uh, but anyway, many of these psalms are set against the first Samuel and the second Samuel and even into the Chronicles and that sort of thing, and they're uh, good to know. Psalm 15, in fact may have been written, listen to this, after David's second attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant up to the Temple Mount or to Mount Zion in 2 Samuel 6. Here's my title, two separate titles, Drawing Near or Keeping Your Tongue. <laughs> Maybe they're not separate, by the way, <laughs> but those were my titles. So let's read it, uh, Psalm, Psalm 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? See, I want you to know something, that the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end is his people being in his presence. 
Think about it. In the first garden, they're in his presence and they rebel against him and they're kicked out of his presence. Then the Lord says, okay, well, we're going to, he, he had actually developed this plan before the foundation of the world, but he started a, a tent and in the tent was his presence and in the tabernacle was his presence. And that thing just sort of, the tent moved around and the people moved with it. No, they didn't move without the presence of the Lord, the, the fire and the cloud at night before them, his presence. And you, the whole thing, the end of the book is that we're going to be in the garden with him. He's going to tabernacle among us. It's his presence. It's the thing, it's him that keeps us safe and healthy and happy and holy and blessed and all those sorts of things. It's his presence. It's his presence. It's his presence. And here he's saying, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And yes, they could be talking there about who could come up to the tabernacle, the holy hill, but really that's speaking of heaven, be with you forever. Who could be with you forever? It's he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Watch this. Can you believe that the Lord enumerates this one? This is important because if you do this, if I do this, that means it's coming out of a heart that something's off. He doesn't backbite or she doesn't backbite with his or her tongue, nor does evil to their neighbors, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. Oh my, this calls for patience and love in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honor those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change, he does, who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Now, listen, folks, this is not a way to get into heaven. We know this. The rabbis used to teach 613 command, commandments in the Old Testament that you need to obey to be okay. Here, the Lord has enumerated 11 things in this psalm. Isaiah 33 points out there were six requirements to be there. Micah 6.8 lists three requirements, but here, let me just calm your fears. The one that started the, uh, the Reformation, Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. It's always this way. How do you go to heaven? By faith, grace by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one way to heaven, but he's saying people who have come into union with Christ, this is how they live. And they'll be with him forever in his tabernacle, in his presence. Isn't that beautiful? Here, let's read a couple things from the New Testament. 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, it's so funny to me. He pulls no punches. He just says, well, you're a liar. <laughs> We lie and don't practice the truth. How about this? First um, John two seventeen. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Why would we ever do the will of God? That's because we have a changed nature. We're a new creation, and now we're not a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? It's drawing near and keeping our tongue. That's what I said. Maybe you can come up with a better 
title. Psalm 16, a very important psalm. Here's one where we start to see some messianic things. It's actually called a miktam. Nobody in the world can agree on what a miktam is. Some would say it means golden or uh, engraved in gold, or it's related to a word that means cover, or it means secret treasure. Nobody really knows what miktam is, and if they say they do, there'll be 10 other people that disagree. So, But in chat, uh, Psalm 16 and Psalms 56 through 60, they're all called a miktam. Uh, and notice that each of these psalms are written at a time when somebody's in peril. Uh, so some people argue for the security and the cover definition. I wrote this. My title for this psalm, I'm so artsy, aren't I? Sweet contentment. Sweet contentment or great gladness or confident in God no matter what. That sounds more like me. Confident in God no matter what, or settled joy, or God's goodness. Look at this. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Now I want to read a quote to you by a pastor. He says this, in you I put my trust. This was a most powerful plea for to trust God is the highest honor we can do him. It is to set the crown upon his head. Isn't that beautiful? In, uh, this was a most powerful plea for to trust God is the highest honor we can do him. It's to set the crown upon his head. And here's what you got in Psalm 16. Oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. My goodness is nothing apart from you. That's interesting. Uh, because everything that's good comes from the Lord. He recognized this. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, could you say that about all your brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, here he says, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. As somebody, uh, listen to this now, as somebody follows the Lord, there's this great increasing love for the body of Christ, even with all their failures and you know, warts and spots and all that sort of thing. But there becomes a great love for the body of Christ. Here he says, in whom is all my delight, not just my tolerance. That really speaks to me. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. See, when people run after other gods, they don't even know it, but they're going to be very sad and sorrowful at some point. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Oh, Lord, here it comes. Here it comes. Watch this. I pray. Don't you pray? Here's one prayer you could pray for yourself, but pray it for me. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Wherever you find yourself, God's put you there. And you say, oh, oh, I don't know if I like that. You will like it if you can get to this place, if you can get to this place. If you can understand that the Lord is your portion and nothing else. Here's what the backstory of that is. In Leviticus and in Numbers, when 
the people, the Jews came into the promised land, it was divided up, right? The tribes all got a portion of land. But when they got to the Levites, the priests, guess what the Lord said for the Levites? You're not going to get any land. You know why you're not going to get any land, Levite people who are going to work around my temple and my sanctuary? It's because I'm going to be your portion. And you, by the way, are part of a holy priesthood, a nation, a holy nation. You understand? You're, in a sense, a priest, and you take the hand of man and put it in the hand of God. Now, what, how do you do that? You point to Jesus is how you do it. <laughs> He's the real mediator between God and man. But you're a priest, in a sense. And if you want to be fully satisfied, I think this is what the Lord is telling you, get to the place where you don't need the gifts. You just need the giver. Wow. And David got to that point. Yo, Lord, you're the portion of my inheritance and my cup. That's why I called this sweet contentment or great gladness or settled joy. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Lord, wherever you send me, whatever you have for me, I'm saying, yes, sir, because you're the captain of my salvation. I'll bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Here's another great principle for those who are in difficult times, doing difficult things, having difficult circumstances. Recognize that you are going to purpose in your heart. Recognize, first of all, that the Lord is always before you. But you need to put him there. <laughs> the Lord's a perfect gentleman. You have the opportunity to sit up at night and watch you know, dirty movies, bad movies, bad influential things, or sit there and read the word and praise the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? And so the Lord says, or David said, I have set the Lord always before me. In other words, personal fellowship with God was David's greatest joy. Oh my. When we get to that place, that's pretty beautiful. And then you follow it out. Uh, Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Watch this. Here's the, here's the um, uh, messianic part of the psalm. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, when there was a sermon being preached, when the uh, day of Pentecost in Acts 2.31, the preacher used this psalm to say, uh, to prove and to talk about who Jesus was and that he didn't die in the, well, he did die, but he didn't stay in the grave and he rose again, you see. And so many people believe that this Psalm 16 has a near fulfillment in David, but also has a far fulfillment in Jesus. And you could be a Berean and look at that Psalm and keep looking at that Psalm in that way. You'll show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You see, when we trust in Jesus, we have resurrection also. And what will you be doing in heaven? I don't know exactly all of it. You'll be praising and be preoccupied, watch this, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to be pleasurable for eternity. You're going to be so in tune and so joyful and so happy and so glad. There'll be no more tears and sorrow. It'll be 
in the presence of the Lord, and there's going to be fullness of joy, and it'll be forevermore. Wow. Wow. You know, 808. 806 on that one, by the way. <laughs> I got two minutes. When we were, our kids were little, on uh, Valentine's Day, we used to have a card at their place, Matt. Uh, and we'd ask them a question about love. And then we'd talk about it from the Bible or whatever. And one year it was, when do you feel most loved? And I would say, when I feel most loved, not that you care what I think, you probably care what they think, but I would say that when I feel most loved is when I'm worshiping. And that is my answer. And it's strange because I was always taught to take to feel good or to feel good about myself. And the Lord says, when you follow me and the Lord is my portion, ha, ah, the blessings and the shower back of my love and grace and joy and fullness. And that's going to be going on forever. Amazing. 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Here in 17, uh, David, as this is a prayer of David, David wants to talk about the justice of the Lord. Um, here's why. Because in this psalm, somebody has been saying David's been lying. Or they've called into question David's integrity. Any, anybody ever did that to you? You're a liar. You're not telling the truth. And you know you aren't. And you know you've done the right thing before the Lord. Or they say, um, you know, you cheated on this. And you know you didn't cheat. You didn't cheat. That's what this psalm is about. And he says, first of all, oh, Lord, I want to invoke your judging abilities. <laughs> I want you to look at me and look, Lord, did I do anything? Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. And Lord, let my vindication come from your presence. I mean, in the presence of you, Lord, I want you to tell me, was I right or was I wrong? And I'll take it if I was wrong. That's what he's saying. I want you to judge. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. And look, at here it is again. You've tested my heart. You've tested my heart. One pastor says this, for examining your heart, allowing it to be tested. Your, your heart is going to be tested by the Lord, but there's sort of this way where you participate. You allow the Lord to test. And here's what one pastor says. Ask yourself these questions. Are you being disobedient to the Lord? Are you being selfish? Are you neglecting some important duty or commandment of the Lord, like going to ask for forgiveness or something? And four, is there a wrong we should first make right before we should continue on? And are your priorities in order? When you're tested, in other words, ask these questions. There may be answers to those questions that can help you get through the test and pass. Because here's why. If you don't pass... Guess what's going to happen? I believe you're going to go through the test again at some point. And the Lord, who wouldn't be like me, like I'd snatch the test probably out of your hand and say, what are you doing? Study. The Lord just patiently keeps giving it back to you. But you're going to be tested. You've tried me and found nothing. I've purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Here's the first thing that you should do when somebody calls your integrity in question. Shut up. Close your mouth. <laughs> I shouldn't have said shut up, should I? <laughs> Close your mouth. Here's why. Because you're apt 
to get back at them and strike and to sin. And David said, I recognize that. My mouth can be brutal. And he says, I purpose that my mouth shall not sin. Keep, I'm going to keep my mouth shut like the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoa. Concerning the works of men by the word of your lips, I've kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your path. Uphold my steps in your path that my footsteps may not slip. Here, let me read you something. The word of God affords us direction, but the grace of God must enable us to follow its direction. And that grace must be attained by prayer as he asks them to uphold his steps. That's by uh, a commentator named Horn. My title, my title was maturing through crisis. Maturing through crisis. And you keep going. And it says this, here comes the shift. I've called upon you for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Verse seven, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. Now I got to stop right here. And if you were at the Friday night Bible study, you're going to roll your eyes and say, oh my. Here's why. Here's a Hebrew word called hesed. Hesed is love word. You see, I would say I love my friend John Kennedy, and I do love my friend John Kennedy, but I wouldn't use hesed with John Kennedy. I would use hesed with my wife. It's a covenantal relationship. It's this thing where we've entered into covenant like the Lord's entered into covenant with his people. You get me? And it's this word that not, it doesn't come through in the uh, Hebrew. Here's what one person said. The wonder of extraordinary love is that God should make it such an ordinary thing that he should give to us marvelous loving kindness and should, and should give it so often that it becomes a daily blessing and yet remains marvelous still. It's goodness, it's kindness, it's faithfulness, it's mercy. It's this thing where the Lord and his people have entered into covenant before it was by these stones. And they said, yeah, we'll do everything on those stones. Now it's written in blood. It's this covenant of grace and we've responded. And so the Lord has entered into this with us and it's a pursuing love and it's a not giving up love. Don't believe me? Read Hosea. It's a said. It's the reason, folks, folks, this is at the heart of why we would worship, why we would pray, why we would come here and help others, why there's a community day. It's because the Lord has showered his love on us. And he said, I won't stop. I won't. I won't deny you. I won't walk away from you. I love you in the kindest of ways, in the gentlest of ways. I love you. This is your marvelous loving kindness has said, oh, you save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. And watch this. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Protect me. Hide me under your wings from the wicked. They have closed up their insensitive, that's what it means, fat hearts, and with their mouths they speak proudly. They've now surrounded us, and they're like a lion, eager to tear. Watch this. Arise, O Lord, confront him. This is salvation and rescue. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They're satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. 
I shall be satisfied. Watch this. This speaks of the resurrection when I raise up in your likeness. Romans 8, 29. This is a beautiful psalm. It's this covenantal love psalm. This is uh, a psalm that says you're going to mature, but there's often tests and crisis. But if you stick in with said, you'll make it out the other end. Psalm 18, only three longer psalms than 18. That's 78, 89, and 119. Another version of the psalm, as my good friend Jared pointed out to me last night, I, I was studying and we were talking, is found in 2 Samuel 22. David sings this psalm, same thing almost, at the end of his life. And this, uh, you could read it there. Uh, and the psalm opens and closes with a doxology, which is a form of a praise, a burst of praise to the Lord. And what's interesting here is David, the servant of God, speaks to the Lord. Uh, and the rest of the psalm, he tells the people what uh, God has done for him. So look at it. Psalm 18, and I won't read it all. Look at this long title. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this psalm on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He just tells you, what did Saul do? Saul did a lot of things. Saul gets mad at him when David's still not the king after he knocks out Goliath. He gets jealous of him. Ladies start singing about how David's a better warrior, and he gets mad about that. And then David, go, you know, David goes to work for him, and he starts throwing spears at him, and then he chases him around the wilderness for a significant period of time. I mean, this was real distress. And in the middle of these distresses, David says this, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I'll call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. We sing that song, don't we? So shall I be saved from my enemies. Now watch, I'm not going to read it all. From verse 4 through verse 15, many people think not only is this David as Saul either pursued him, but this is a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ went, to, went through. The pangs of death surrounded me. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry. Then the earth shook and all that sort of thing. And there was an earthquake. I mean, I'm, it doesn't say that, but that's what it says. How about this? He made darkness down in verse 11. His secret place, his canopy around him was dark. In other words, there was this curse of dark sin. And the Lord thundered from heaven, verse 13. Uh, and the Most High uttered his voice. And then the channels of the sea were seen. And then look in verse 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. He also, verse 19, brought me into a broad place. There was freedom, and some see this as real freedom or the ultimate freedom as triumph over the tomb. It says here that the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness 
according to the cleanness of my hands, he's recompensed me. This doesn't mean that he's sinless. David does mean that Jesus was sinless. (laughs) But not David. But in David's case, it would mean he had a clean conscience, especially when he dealt with Saul. Look down in verse 25. With the merciful, you'll show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you'll show yourself blameless. With the pure, you'll show yourself pure. And with the devious, you'll show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble, but will bring down haughty looks. The way we relate to others and to the Lord is the way that he relates to us. And you go, wait a minute, is that right? Well, look with me in Matthew 7 real quick. Uh-oh, I told Xander I'd be done. Matthew 7, verse 2. Look in Matthew 7, verse 2, if I can get there. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Okay. I want to just show you a couple things. The psalm sort of changes here after verse 40 or 31. And it starts saying things like, it's God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. I, I just got to talk about this for one second. If this applies to us as men and women, as opposed to the Lord, some people believe this is still talking about the Lord. It's probably both. But I want you to see something. Remember earlier when we talked about being in hard places and everybody tries to get out of the situation and the Lord wants to bring you through the hard places. It's, he's testing you. You know what one of the things he wants you to do? He wants you to be nimble in the high places, the places where nobody else goes. You get this? In the highest of heights, the beauty happens when you stick in there, not when you leave. And this is beautiful. I think the Lord is preparing us to be nimble like a deer and set you on high and important places. And he teaches our hands to make war. What do you mean war? Armor of God, battle in prayer. And then I just wanted to show you this, and then I'm going to let you read the rest of it because it's so beautiful. The Lord actually says here, (laughs) David actually is saying to the Lord, look at this, your gentleness in verse 35, has made me great. Isn't that beautiful? Your gentleness, your goodness, your providence, your your humility, your condescension, your stooping low to help me and to come alongside me, and you're gentle with me, and you're patient with me, and you know you have to spur me on and tell me the truth sometime, but man, your, your gentleness makes me great, David says to the Lord. So wonderful. That's who the Lord is. Well, here's what you could see. You could go into verses 43 to the end of the verse. God establishes David's throne, 43 through the end of the verse, and that is a direct relation to 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant. Okay, Psalm 19, real quick. C.S. Lewis said this about Psalm 19, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the entire world. Why? Because the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Of course, you see it. Can you believe it? When when you go outside, where were we a couple weeks ago? And it was so dark outside. 
where were we? Ah, oh, I can't remember. I think it was North Carolina. Yeah, we were in North Carolina. And you look up there, and every night, those same pattern stars are in the exact same place as they were last July. Come on now. You kidding me? There's no way. And so we know that nature screams out and cries out. But as you keep reading this, and it's beautiful, you could read all about this all the way through verse 6 about nature and how it screams out about God. But then in verse 7, it shifts course and it says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. You're reading this, you're like scratching your head. Converting the soul makes uh, uh, sure the wise, rejoices the heart, makes us pure and opens our eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean and the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous. Sweeter the word is than honey and the honeycomb etc. And keeping them and keeping them, oh, to be in obedience to the Lord helps you, right? Not that you're earning your way, but you have a quiet conscience and a quiet heart by just doing the things that the Lord asks you to do. Now, here's what I want to tell you real quick. You understand that there's general revelation in the Bible and specific revelation in the Bible. And here's one of the great places where you see it. What's general revelation. Uh, that refers to the general truths that be, uh, can be known about God through nature, like his power, his creativity. And, you know, I even think sun comes up, sun goes down. Sun comes up, moon, you know, moon comes up every day. Here in Western Pennsylvania, come on, seriously, red buds spring, full bloom summer, leaves die winter of death. And then they come back. It's just every season, it's just speaking of what the Lord does. Special, or excuse me, general revelation. And then special revelation refers to the more specific truths that can be known uh, about God through supernatural things, but also through most importantly, I would say, is the Word of God. The Word of God is the special revelation, but of course, the revelation finds its fullest form in Jesus Christ himself, coming to the earth, dying, and rising again. I'm going to let you read the rest of 19 because I'm so excited to get you to 20. Man, if you're creative, if, if you want to... I know uh, critics of the Bible would say the exact opposite of what I'm about ready to say, but this is why I believe the Bible right here and love the Bible. Because in Psalm 20, it looks like that David himself, look at this, David himself, it looks like something, some people believe David himself was going down to the tent of the tabernacle or, you know, yeah, or the, uh, you know, the temple and offering sacrifices through the priests. And he heard the prayers of the people who saw him going as king. And the Lord inspired him to write down these prayers of the people. This is beautiful to me. And so look, he says this, the, the chief musician, a Psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. 
It's a strange psalm, but it seems to be that the picture is David at the tabernacle offering prayer and sacrifices, and the onlookers are multitudes of people who respond to the king's prayers and the king's activity, and they say these things, and David grabbed them and wrote them down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and gave it to the chief musician. Isn't that beautiful? Look what he say. May he remember all your offering and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. Isn't that beautiful? And he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. That's in Deuteronomy 17, 16. The Lord told all the kings of Israel, don't trust in chariots and don't trust in horses, the things of the world. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. Now here, we'll close. If that's true, if this is a picture of David at the tabernacle, you can go through this and read this again. I called this psalm, we do battle or a prep for battle because most people believe David was going into the sanctuary to pray and to give sacrifices and to talk with God about a battle he was going through. Here's the first thing is, we do battle, preparation for battle. Another title I said was don't look to worldly solutions. When would you read this when you're facing something hard or your leaders are uh, facing something hard, don't tune out because I'm being selfish right here. (laughs) Not really. You know what this proves? People want real leadership with real people who don't just have the shoes and the watch and the shirts and the coats and the cars and the houses and the Instagram pages. You know what people want in their spiritual leaders? People who are in touch with God. That's powerful to me. This is a great reminder to me. The people want a leader in touch with God. They want a a leader who is a person of prayer and who listens to God and receives power, but from God, not his own power or her own power. No, from the Lord. And there's this thing that you know, that you know that that person has spent time communing with the Lord. And that's powerful. And the real sadness of this is, to me, a lot of people are running around trying to find the popular people. And this psalm speaks in a different way. And I'm not trying to get you to come here. That's not what this is about. It's we're in the body of Christ. Pray for the pastors, man. That is not a show. That's not about how many people we can fit through there or what great giant edifices we can build or how many Instagram followers or Twitter followers I could have, but that people would be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, that when we go out to battle, we've been prayed for. That's why I love this song. (laughs) Let's pray. Well, Lord, the Psalms. All the different scenarios you take us through here in your book. Lord, I hope this has helped some people to be able to pray and to think through 
psalms in a different way, the way, you know, that you would have us do it. Not in a cursory way, but in a deeper way. I know we went fast, Lord, but you're able to do it. And I pray for those who are hurting or struggling or need something healed here in their hearts tonight. I pray, Lord, you would do your mighty work by your word, power of the Spirit, and these children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.